Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Wednesday, March 13th, 2013. And today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 157, the seventh paragraph down that starts, The Two Friends Spoke Of. And today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Melanie, Twelve Traditions, Margaret K., and then Judy B., Sharon, and Fran. And the share code for yesterday, Tuesday, the 12th of March, was 4074. 4074. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strengths, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Always our sole purpose. Fifth tradition states, each group has one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Melanie to please read the 12 steps. Good morning. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Number three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Number four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Number five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Number six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Number seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Number eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Number nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Number ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Number eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Number 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Melanie. And now I will ask Margaret Kay to please read the 12 traditions. 
Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Margaret Kay, compulsive overeater in South Jersey. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group was to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you and pass. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book means to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we will resume our study of the big book on page 157 and the Seventh paragraph down, where it starts, though the two friends spoke of their spiritual experience. We will review those um, that paragraph and the following paragraph. And Judy B., would you read three paragraphs, please? Certainly. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everyone. This is Judy B., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. The two friends spoke of their spiritual experience and told him about the course of action they carried out. He interrupted, I used to be strong for the church, but that won't fix it. I've prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I'd never touch another drop, but by nine o'clock I'd be boiled as an owl. The next day found the prospect more receptive. He had been thinking it over. Maybe you're right, he said. God ought to be able to do anything. Then he added, 
He sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket. <laughs> excuse me. And I would like to share on that. Um, this, excuse me. This shows us um, how the thinking can change from one day to the next. When the um, when the two friends first started to speak to him and tell of their spiritual experience, he interrupted them. You know, he didn't he didn't even let them finish speaking. He interrupted them. I used to be strong for the church, but that won't fix it. And um here we see that uh it it's good that he had a faith in God, but that that alone was insufficient. You know, he needed he needed action for that. Um page 93 tells us faith alone is insufficient, but must be followed by action. So now the next day found the prospect more receptive. He'd had time to think things over. He was another day without his uh, allergic substance in his body. So he was he was um, he was more receptive to to the words that these men were speaking. He began thinking it over. Maybe you're right, he said. God ought to be able to do anything. And then he added, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket. So he's he's thinking about what the men have told him. He's thinking about his own experience with God. And he's now becoming a little bit more willing to listen to what these gentlemen are telling him. And and that's that's the way this program works. Our, our thinking changes as we hear more and more about what the uh, program of action can do for us. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs? Hi, good morning, Monica. This is Lisa from South Jersey. Good morning, Lisa. Please share. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. He sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. That's the word that jumped out at me alone. I always had um, a relationship or, you know, some kind of strong for the church anyway. I don't can't really say how great a relationship I had with God, but I was very involved in churches and um, active member, prayed and all the time, you know, the whole thing. But I never asked God about helping me with, with this problem of compulsive overeating. I always tried to do it alone, and I always felt that I should be able to do it. You know, I should be able to do this myself, something as simple as, you know, eating like a normal person. Um, One of the great benefits of this program, and particularly this meeting, is that it helps us understand that we have a disease and the twofold nature of it, and that there's no way that I can do it alone. And I'm grateful that I finally got that. You know, I've been around a long time, and uh, understanding what this disease is helps me understand that there is no way that I can do it alone, no matter how much I pray, no matter how active I am in the church or whatever. I need the help of my higher power and the action of the 12 steps of this program to continue to live. And I'm grateful I understand that today. Thank you, and I pass. 
Thank you, Lisa. Would anyone else like to share on this? This is Kim. Good morning, Kim. Please share. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Next day, found the prospect more receptive. So why was he receptive to this? This is the technique that they're using here. They're telling him about the nature of alcoholism. They're telling him about this twofold disease, that he is a distinct entity if he is an alcoholic, that he has an abnormal reaction when he ingests certain food. And then that will never change. Never, ever, ever, ever. But more dastardly is that he has this obsession of the mind, this twisted thinking, this mental blank spot, that no matter how long he tries to put down that liquor, no matter how many times he tries to use human aid, that that mental twist will tell him that picking up the drink will be the best idea he's had at the time. Because he has thought for so long that alcohol is his problem. Alcohol is my problem. I'm going to try to control the alcohol, and alcohol is my problem. But what Bill and Bob demonstrated by telling their story was that the problem was being sober. The problem is that I am uncomfortable in my own skin. The problem is that people are irritating and people are nuts and people just won't do what I want. And the solution is alcohol. The solution is when I pick up that alcohol, it changes my perception. So I keep going back to the alcohol. That's why I went back to the food. Life was uncomfortable. Life was, life was difficult. And when I took a couple bites, suddenly I didn't care so much. Suddenly, I intuitively knew how to handle things. I didn't know how to handle before. Fear of people and deeper economic insecurity left me when I picked up. I didn't care what you thought about me anymore. I didn't care about the mortgage. No, I did not regret the past. I don't care how drunk I was yesterday. I don't care how, how my, my doctor told me I had high blood pressure. This food is going to make me feel better. And by telling him that, by understanding the true nature of his disease, that's when Bill D said, well, what do I do about it? If food is not my problem, if food is not my problem, what do I do? And he told him about this plan of action, and he told him about the solution, and that is why he's receptive. So what is the purpose of the meeting? Is the purpose of the meeting to tell our drunkologues? No, the purpose of the meeting is to carry this message. And what is this message? This message is that we can recover from this seemingly hopeless state of mind. The message is not that I'm abstinent. Of course I'm abstinent. That's what I had to do first. The message in this meeting is I am happy to be abstinent. I am happy, joyous, and free while being abstinent. So where he said he didn't much like, he didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone, meaning God, if he was were trying to get through to him, that it is the fellowship that will support us and the program of recovery that will change us, and then we can not only be abstinent, but we can be abstinent and be happy about it. That is the message that Bill and Bob is carrying to Bill D. And because he knows he's desperate, because he knows that the alcohol is not his problem and the alcohol is going to take him down every time, he is more receptive. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs? Yael? Yes. Who's this? Yael. Yael. Okay. Go ahead. Yes. Um, so how I took it, I guess it's 
part of it has been just uh, said, but um, at the time when he was in it all, so from his perspective, first of all, he says, when I was trying to fight this booze racket, so he, he really wasn't trying to fight it. He was, I mean, who, uh, it seems like, you know, he, he was in it, but the only way that, that God could have come to help him was if he turned and asked God for the help. It wasn't just going to come. He needed to, to ask for the help. And um, so to him, it seemed like God wasn't with him. But really, I kind of see a little bit of a twist in that really God was with him because in getting him into that state of hopelessness and helplessness is the point that gave him the courage and the strength to actually want to turn it around. So um, even though he felt alone, he really wasn't alone because God did kind of help, you know, was there by his side while he was getting to this bottom, bottom place. But also at that time, he wasn't, God didn't help him because he didn't ask for the help. He didn't turn to him. But now that, you know, he'll, he'll, now things, you know, may, may turn around now that he's opened his eyes to see something different. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Yael. Could any would anyone else like to share on this? Okay, well, this is Monica, and I'll share on this for uh, a moment or two here. So here we are with uh, um, number three, future fellow number three, and Dr. Bob and Bill have shared their personal stories of drinking with him to begin with. This is their process. And then they explained the disease to him, the physical aspect of it, and the mental obsession of it, and and how that worked and what that was doing to him. And then, thirdly, they spoke of their spiritual experience and told him what they did. So basically they explained the steps, working the steps and what they did. And so, of course, he interrupts and he says, well, I used to be strong for the church, but that won't fix it, you know. I prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I'd never touch another drop. You know, we've all done that. I Next morning I go, oh, please, God, help me to be good today, you know. I, I prayed the prayers, but I didn't make any decisions and I didn't take any actions. So now it's the next day here, so like, He's he's a little clearer, he's a little more sober, and and he's been thinking about this, you know. Well, he's going through this process of coming about, to, you know, step one and two and, and, and three here. And he's thinking, well, you know, maybe God, you know, he ought to be able to do anything. You know, I believe there's a God and he's made all this world and well, he ought to be able to do anything. But then he goes on, he says, well, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. Well, he's still missing the boat there, isn't he? Because he's still thinking he didn't do much for him when he was trying. I was trying to fight the booze racket alone. And that's the bottom line. We cannot do this alone. This is what our experience has shown us over and over again. All my willpower, all my determination, all my self-knowledge was nothing against this mental obsession of the brain. But anyway, he's he's... He's he's coming around here. He's thinking, well, you know, maybe. And with that, I'll pass. And would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs? 
This is Leah. Leah, good morning. Go ahead. Hey, hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, just reviewing some of these paragraphs, you know, uh, in the story we read yesterday that, um, you know, Bill D. replied, from what you tell me, I know more than ever. I can't stop. You know, steps one and two are conclusions of the mind. Um, they're not action steps. We we <laughs> we find out about this disease outside the rooms, you know, in in the progression of the illness, in the, in the quicksand. Um, you know, from what you tell me, I know more than ever I can't stop. Powerlessness, lack of power is our dilemma. Uh, he goes on to say here, um, you know, I've prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I'd never touch another drop, but by 9 o'clock I'd be boiled as an owl. Next day found the prospect more receptive to this idea about spiritual uh, experiences. You know, what step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. It's another conclusion of the mind. Uh, the big book spends a lot of time on this in the chapter We Agnostics. Uh, you know, it talks about atheism, you know, who. Yeah, an atheist is one who says there is no God. But what's an agnostic? An agnostic is a person who believes there is a God but acts like he disbelieves there's a God. And that's exactly what happened here. Um, you know, he prayed to God on hangover mornings and swore that he never touched a drop, but by 9 o'clock he'd be boiled as an owl. Um, you know, this is a man who believes there is a God, but acts like he disbelieves it. He stood on his own two feet. Bill D. ran his own show. Bill D. ruled his own destiny. Bill D. never turned to God for help um, sincerely. And Bill D. got the same help the atheist gets, which is nothing. Which is nothing. Um, you know, if you'll remember, Bill D. ended up in the hospital in the first six months, uh, you know, of the year 1935. Uh, he, he said he believed in God, but he stood on his own two feet. He ran his own show, and he ran himself right into, uh, you know, uh, a ward here to be dried out. So, you know, that that's my story. I relate to that. You know, I certainly relate to that. I intellectually believe there was a God. I had no reason to disbelieve there was a God, but <laughs> I I had no knowledge. I had no knowledge of God. I had no relationship with God. I never tried to use God in my life. I ran my own show. I ruled my own destiny. I stood on my own two feet, and I crawled myself into a facility and got one of those nice wristbands in a lockup ward. You know, I believed in God. Sure, I did, but I acted as if I disbelieved in God. So, you know, the disease, when he says here, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. God is available to us. This higher power of our understanding is available. And a life based on that belief that God exists or that a higher power exists is far superior to a life without that foundation. And this would be true even if God did not exist. So, you know, we're going to see here that Bill D is going to decide to base his life on the, on the assumption that if, it's, if there is a God, and that's true, uh, that em 
eliminates massive amounts of doubt and uncertainty and allows him to live a principled life. And I'll let the story unfold. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Sharon, would you like to read the next paragraph, please? Absolutely, Monica. Thank you. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Very glad to be with you on the phone this morning. That afternoon, oh, excuse me, on the third day, the lawyer gave his life to the care and direction of his creator and said he was perfectly willing to do anything necessary. His wife came scarcely daring to be hopeful though she thought she saw something different about her husband already. He had begun to have a spiritual experience. So here we have on the third day, and he gave his life to the care and direction of his creator. So we had the first day where he admitted powerlessness. Then we had the second day where the light shown and he began to believe and then he made a decision he saw the hope and yet it just seeing it doesn't make it happen we have to adopt it we have to make it our own and that's what he did on the third day he made a decision he made a decision to turn his life over to the care and direction of his creator. And it's his creator. Any Anything you want to accept as your creator. Some people, and this was true for me when I started, I accepted the group as uh, there was a group of recovered people. They had a method that they were using to recover in in the OA rooms and I I had been praying for years, 10 years in the rooms trying to find a solution and I believed that God had sent me that solution. God had answered my prayer. I received as coming from my creator. Anything necessary. So I stopped. I stopped to figure it out my way. I, I that what I was doing and what I had been doing for decades was never working and that God had changed my life. And I, what I was told, I threw myself headlong in recovery one day at a time, and I took direction. A good from my fellows in the rooms, I did what they did. Accepted that if I depended on my own unsteady willpower. I would never get recovered. I'd keep getting what I got before. I had to do something completely different. I had to accept a way of 
acting upon life, of doing. And so I accepted the program as I was taught. I got a sponsor, and I did what my sponsor told me to do. I called called in my food. I worked my program. And um, and what happened is I got what was described here in the book. Immediately, people would say to me that they saw something different about me. I hadn't lost any weight, but I what had happened is as soon as I made that decision, as soon as I gave up the debate club, as soon as I gave up trying to do it my way, I began to have a spiritual experience, I believe. God had entered my life. And truly, even though I was a believer all along, but in a very different way, just as it was described in a previous paragraph, there was a way that, that uh, you know, we pray to God act when, we're, when we're in the food, when we're uh, having a hangover, but there's a different way when we accept that God is able and willing to direct us out of this morass. God is able to lead. And when we stop running around frantically trying to escape this insanity and accept that we can be led out, we can be led out one step at a time, we get out. Not by going our way, bumping into walls, running around, trying to kick our way through, but we breathe and we accept guidance and we get directed out of our hellhole, and that is the beginning of our spiritual experience. And it happens, it can happen for everyone. It's available. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Sharon. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Good morning, Kim. Please share. Good morning again. On the third day, the lawyer gave his life to the care and direction of his creator, and said he was perfectly willing to do anything necessary. I mean, look at the pace of this. You know, Bill D's recognizing, oh my God, my life's in the line. My life's in the line. This is the pace. So many of us think, well, we should do like a step a year. I'm still, I'm working on step one. I need some time to work on step one. But step one lets us know that we are absolutely screwed if we don't move forward. And step two you know, the, the, what, what the agnostic tries to teach us is not that there is a God, it tries to prove that we need God, that we need God, that we are beyond human aid. And that propels us, propels us to this decision that he's going to make. And it's saying here he gave his life to the care and direction of his creator. So often I hear in the rooms, well, yeah, I'm doing step three, I'm turning over my food. It doesn't say anything about turning over your substance to God. You put that down in step one. You admitted you're powerless. You put down that food. Now we're saying we're giving our life over to the care and direction of the creator. So really step three is, is the decision step, not to make decisions anymore. My decisions got me in the rooms of L.A. What makes me think that my decisions are going to be helpful now? I created a screwed up life. So what is this decision I'm making? I'm making this decision to turn my life and my will over to God, take direction from this book, 
These are clear-cut directions. There's an urgency now. I need to take directions. You know, and step three is just the decision. It says he was perfectly willing to do anything necessary. Perfectly. He was unreservedly, without holding anything back, willing to do anything necessary. You know, for years, I made a decision to go back to school. For five years, I probably made it a dozen times. Never went back to school. Do you know when I went back to school? When I started to look into schools that I could go to, when I started to look at my finances to see what I could afford, when I went to my employer to see if they could help me out with tuition, when I called schools and found out, do I have to have certain criteria? Do I, what is the application process like? That decision meant nothing until I did the action steps after that. And that thought is reiterated on page 64 when we start our step four. It says, though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us, blocking us, blocking us from God. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. And that's what Bill D is saying here. I am making this decision, and I will do anything necessary, which means he's going to follow through with doing steps four through nine, because if he chooses to stay here on this step, nothing will change. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Yael? I heard. I heard. Yael? Yael? And Paula? And I think there was someone else. Okay. Yael? Yael? Paula. Okay, thank you. Um, the thing that jumped out to me is, even though it says here about his wife, she came scarcely daring to be hopeful. Um, it, it kind of triggered for me, kind of uh, what I was what I was feeling, because there had been so many, tri- so many, so many dozens of times and tries that that I was, you know, trying to be abstinent, and um, and. I was. It always started with a little bit of a hopefulness, but then it would, you know, when I wasn't um, successful, so it would kind of bring a downer to me and actually to to others in my family as well because um, they just knew how hard this was for me, and um, and it was kind of like they were able uh, to compare because in the past I had I had been abstinent, um, but they were able to see a difference in me when I was in the food and when I was not in the food. And it was kind of like this disappointment all around for everybody whenever, you know, every Monday, every Sunday would come around and the same thing. Okay, this time really, this time really, this time really. Um, And really, I guess it was at the point when I was perfectly willing to do anything necessary, when it was just really to that rock bottom point. And I I guess I keep going to that because it it struck me so strongly um, where things actually did start to uh to kick in for me and um I can't say I've had a spiritual awakening but there is definitely a greater uh, spiritual awareness around me. So with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Yael. Paula, go ahead. Hi, right, this would be Paula Recovered Compulsive Reader. You know, here we see the blinders are off. He saw his life as what it was. 
And then he had to make a choice, with or without God. And he saw what it was, and he knew what it was without God. But now, with God. This is the difference. And you know, on 53, it says, when we became alcoholics, and this is an agnostics, crushed by self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We know where Bill D is now. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. And here the question, what was our choice to be? And now we see Bill D's choice and then the transformation. They had to come together. But then I love what it says on the next line. His wife came scarcely daring to be hopeful. Why would that be? Why would that be? Oh, is it going to be the same? How many times was it the same? I mean, they said eight times. And yet she came. Now they love. Daring. Oh, can I dare? Could this time be different? When so many times it wasn't. But look at what transpired. Though she thought she saw something different. Something wasn't the same. Yet this was her husband. This was the same man. Same watch she had been in so often. About her husband all ready. Look at the time. Already something is different. He had begun and what a beginning it was. What a beginning to have a spiritual experience. Like the first the sp- first growth when you, you, you go to plan something and you go and you look at the ground, it's always the same. And then all of a sudden you see that little green thing. Now I don't know what that's going to grow into. We will, it will be described later. But boy, that first growth, there a beginning. Finally, she saw something. For he finally saw something. Who God really was. And who he really was. And with God, the transformation. Who, what he could be. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on this? Okay, I would like to share on this paragraph. On the third day, the lawyer gave his life to the care and direction of his creator. So he's doing step three here. He's making the decision. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So he, and and then he says, and he was perfectly willing to do anything necessary. And those two things have to go together. Willingness, you know, willingness, willingness, willingness. We must be willing. And, you know, this is the foundation of everything here is that floor of of willingness. Willingness to do anything we have to do over this disease. So he's decided, okay, God, God, God can do, God can help me with this. So I'm going to give my life over to him. I'm going to be willing. What is he giving over? You know, our thinking, our minds, the way we think. 
And he says he's willing to do anything. So what's he willing to do? He's willing to look at things differently, to think about things differently. And right away, when he has done this, just made this um, decision to give himself over to God, to surrender, to give it up, to stop trying to figure it out himself. Something happens. Something's different. And he'd begun to have a spiritual experience. And what's a spiritual experience? Basically, it's change. We will have a personality change. Our thinking changes. Our attitude changes. We open up. And this is what he's already beginning to experience. And just by saying, you know, I give up. God, help me. I know you are more powerful than any of this, and I'm powerless. Please help me. And with that, I pass. And would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? I would like to share. This is Steve from Canada. Go ahead, Steve. You know, these words, really understood, are very, very uh, amazing. There are no words. These words are indicating a a surrender. The word surrender, giving my will up. It's not giving up the booze or the alcohol or or the eating. It's giving up my life. It's a total surrender. There are no words. It's an experience. And it, the, I'm, thank God I had this overeating problem, this compulsion, because that's what brought me to God with willingness. The lucky ones are us. But we can't hold back, it's saying, anything and everything is whatever he wants. And I pass. Thank you, Steve. And now, Fran, would you um, read the next couple of paragraphs, please? Good morning. This is Fran, compulsive over here. That afternoon, he put on his clothes and walked from the hospital a free man. He entered a political campaign, making speeches frequenting men's gathering places of all sorts, often staying up all night. He lost the race by only a narrow margin, but he had found God, and in finding God, he found himself. That was in June 1935. He never drank again. He, too, has become a respected and useful member of his community. He has helped other men recover and is a power in the church from which he was long absent. And uh, the program of recovery integrates our relationship with God into how to live it in a practical way in our community. It just shows that now that God's moving in his life, now he can be a part of the community and offer the gifts that God had put in him. And it's just an awesome reflection of what recovery is all about. And I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Fran. Would anyone like to share on these two paragraphs? This is Paula. 
I heard Paula and someone else. Could I just ask what page you're on? We are on page 158. Thank you. The third paragraph. This is Linda. I'd like to share after Paula, if I may. Paula, go ahead, and then Linda. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and I'm going to zip on to scoot to that line. But, now, the but, before the but, he lost the race. Now, you would say, oh, great, now he's with God. He's going to win that race. Doesn't matter. Do you see it here? It didn't matter. What was always his answer? Well, I lost that. Give me a drink. Give me a bite. Give me a drug. Give me anything to stop it. No, because now he had God on his side. But he had found God. And in finding God, had found himself in who he was. He wasn't whether he won or lost the race. That wasn't him anymore. That wasn't what it was rated on anymore. But that part, no matter what life holds, when God holds you, and you have found him, well, there you are. You don't need the drink, the drug bite. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Linda, go ahead. Good morning. It's Linda from Connecticut, and I'm a very grateful recovering compulsive overeater. Um, When you read the line about um, in finding God had found himself, the hairs on my arm just stand up every time I read that because that actually happened to me, and I was an atheist. I didn't want to be, but I was. And I had this intellectual um, training. And that's good as far as it goes, as the book says. But, boy, it's really screwed me over. And these steps opened up or opened me up to a relationship with God and a relationship with myself. And it's so amazing that sometimes I don't even almost remember my past life. I mean, I do, but it's like it's another person. For me, as uh, an atheist, and now where I am, it's just such a tremendous transformation. And when I started to turn my life over to God, I, I... I just would like roll my eyes when nobody was looking and just go, now I'm talking to the air. It it, it was just awful. But I did do what the big book said, which was essentially act as if, be willing, be willing. And because I was willing to do what I was told to do and willing to try a spiritual approach, which I was sure would not work. Huh? My goodness, it's uh, 30 years later, and I'm, oh, just so close to recovered. Uh, My sponsor tells me I'm recovered, but until I'm just completely positive that I'm, anyway, uh, here I am. I have a great relationship with God, and I love who I am. And may I say I love you guys, because what I'm learning with you has just pushed me over the finish line to the winner's circle. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs? Yes, I'd like to share. And who Hi, is this? Hi, my name is Tony. I'm a recovered compulsive reader. Okay, Tony uh, and then Sheila. 
This is Sandy B. I'd like to share. Tony, and then Sheila, and then Sandy. Go ahead, Tony. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to acknowledge uh, the beautiful uh, movement that's happening here that we're witnessing years later. This is a movement of two men who have gotten this experience. And we're talking about that. They talk about the, that OBS Anonymous can be the last house on the block for us. We can either end up in jail, institutions, or in a hospital. And here we have number three in the hospital. And it talks about that the only reason why this kind of worked was that they worked with only desperate cases. And I'm grateful that this number three took on this movement so that it can continue to flourish to what we have today. So the reason why, for me personally, this has worked, for me, in relation to me being Bill Dotson in that sense, is being desperate. And you guys taught my language. You know, the religion worked in a sense, but it didn't talk about the insanity and the obsession of the mind as it was talked about earlier. And I'll close up with a couple of things that it said here in uh, in the second opinion. This seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no non-alcoholic could. It also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. So these two men are doing it for themselves. They're not forcing this down his throat, no access to grind. And then I'll conclude with of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the re- remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. So this is the whole essence for me from what I experienced. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Sheila, go ahead. This is Sherry, ma'am, Sherry. Was it, did I misunderstand? Sherry. Sherry? Okay, Sherry, go ahead. Hey, good morning, everybody. I just love this this meeting. Um, there were two sentences that stood out for me on page um, 158. That afternoon, he put on his clothes and walked from the hospital a free man. You know, I, I got to thinking after um, reading that sentence that, you know, I have I've never been free of the food. Sorry, I have a bird. Um, <clears throat> I, I have never been free of the food. And then the last sentence in that paragraph is that he he um, that in finding God, he had found himself. And I spent all my prior years, uh, once I was an adult, wondering just who I was. Uh, And I wondered why I was on earth. I didn't, I just felt like, why am I here? Why am I here? And um, and, and then um, I like what Steve shared about this um, addiction of mine has, has brought me to find a power greater than myself. <clears throat> that I never believed in before. I mean, I knew there was a God, but it was not a relationship. It was just the idea, I guess. Um, anyway, th- that makes me really grateful. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. And Sandy, would you like to go ahead? Star 1 to unmute. 
Thank you. This is Sandy B., and I'm grateful to be on the meeting. Um, I guess a, a, the main thing that I want to talk about is the spiritual experience. And I can, I've been in program more than 20 years, and um, the last few weeks I have been following or listening to someone, and um, I did what I was told to do with my food. And that is a spiritual experience for me because I have never wanted to do what I was told. I took food back to the store, threw some food away, and even as I was doing it, I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm doing this. But I did it because the person that told me to do it had a food plan that she was introducing to me, and I'm going to fast forward, and at this time, I see, as I look back on that experience, it was God, and I know it was God, and I'm a witness to that, and I'm grateful to have had that. I am now on a food plan, and I know that there's three phases of the disease, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Um, the physical has always been an issue for me. I've Stopped binging, which was great, but I was still eating foods that was giving me, um, I wasn't sure I was what they were doing, but I felt it was okay. But I've now let go of those foods, and my thinking is clearer. My food, when I eat, I eat, and sometimes I'm full before my food is gone, and it's like I just put the plate down. You know, it's just amazing. And <clears throat> I said, oh. All this to say that um, I know what it feels like, that spiritual experience and to do things that are totally against what I want to do, but do them in, in such a way it's like being on automatic pilot. And now that I look back on it, it just happened a couple of weeks ago, I see that it was my higher power. And I thank you for listening. Thank you, Sandy. Would anyone else like to share on these two paragraphs? This is Leah. This is Janice. Leah and then? Janice. Janice. Okay. Leah and then Janice. Thank you so much. That afternoon, he put on his clothes and walked from the hospital a free man. That was June 1935. He never drank again. I mean, I've had my face in this book for over 26 years, and it never fails that when we study this, uh, just the chills that run down my spine, you know, the tears that come to my eyes. I mean, this man was hospitalized eight times. You know, this is about the raising of the dead. You know, how do you explain someone enslaved by alcoholism, such as Bill Dodson here, who could rise up out of a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and walk this planet, a free man, never to drink again. That's not a common experience, but it is our experience through this process, because of this process, having had a spiritual awakening. That's exactly what happened to him. He had a spiritual awakening. This is not about personal success. This is not about what Bill D. did, uh, you know, in terms of his own power or his own recognition. This is about what happened when he cooperated with the grace of God. He engaged in this process, these same steps that we study in 
speak about every day. He engaged in that same process. He had a spiritual awakening. He was restored to sanity. He had soundness of mind. He was relieved of the obsession to drink. He was freed from the beast. Finally, after decades of mayhem, he walked this planet a free man. Because he had enough suffering and enough pain and enough degradation that broke him down, and he died before he was born again. And that is the secret of these 12 steps. That, yes, indeed, it is possible to be able to effectuate such a dramatic change in a person, in a personality, in character, and in value, in, in his values. Much more than just the elimination of alcohol occurred to this man. He was brought to soundness. He was brought to restoration. His life was rehabilitated. His life was reordered. It was renewed. He had been reborn, not in body, of course, but in mind. And that's exactly just like this study today and and this example is living proof. Just like those of us who are recovered, that's what we have to offer today. When we talk to the newcomers and when we carry the message, we are living proof that some power greater than human power is working in our lives also. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Janice, go ahead, please. Star one, Janice. Thank you. Can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, thank you, Monica. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. With a voice again after having been, been sick for a while. So I'm glad to be here with all of you. You know, he walked, he walked from that hospital a free man. A free man. He had found God. And in finding God, he had found himself. Because if you're anything like me, you can relate to this man. My willingness allowed me to stand in the exact same place that this man stood. You know, helpless and hopeless and utterly desperate and seeing the light. Seeing the light of a possibility You know, he'd begun to have this spiritual experience because of this deep and utter surrender that he had. And I needed to stand in that exact same place. In that exact same place, my willingness allowed me, the disease had me, the disease had me, the monster had me. But it didn't have to be a monster anymore. Because God could stand between me and that thinking that had always kept me prisoner if I was willing to follow a few few simple suggestions. So I embraced those steps as if my life depended on it. And you can bet that that's what Bill D. did as well. You know, found the way out, walked from the hospital a free man. And it is just as available to you and I this morning, right here, in 2013, as it was back in the 1935 June when this man recovered. It's just as available to us, but we have to want it badly enough. And if you are like this man, and if you are like me, then it is available for you too. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. 
thank you to everyone who shared this morning. We've come to the end of our time. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Judy B., can you please read a vision for you? Certainly. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answer will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.